Hey, did you guys see the uh, weird update to Jordan Peterson and the thing going on with his daughter and him give, having COVID and everything? How are you gonna How are you gonna talk about how, like slaying the dragon and raise a fucking all meat fitness thought who who fucking hooks up with a human trafficker? Yeah, his daughter is like. He created one of the most evil women in yeah. the world. Yeah. Let's start recording. She's demonic evil. Like she's every uh, like evil feminine uh, trait. Uh, like luring yeah. you with uh luring you with Instagram picture so that you will just eat raw meat yeah. until your organs are stolen by her boyfriend who has a warehouse full of Croatian cam girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, like, it's just like, it, 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 and all of the advice to, like, suffering young men seems to do him absolutely no yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. When his yeah. daughter, the, the whore of Babylon and the, the red, great red dragon decided to abduct him <laughs> into, like, a an organ factoring, uh, like, an organ stealing factory in Russia and then just leave his comatose, COVID ridden body in Serbia. <laughs> Yeah. Like what is what, dude? You know, I just like honestly, like, like he's he's spent the last eighteen months in like the decommissioned prison that they executed Citizen X in, <laughs> <laughs> just withdrawing from benzos in a fetal position, whimpering and shaking, while his daughter, like, yeah, again, one of the most evil women. Ever oh man it's just like, she, it's like, it's like it's she's like, the representation uh, of everything he writes about she's the yeah. cult she's the chaos dragon yeah yeah his dragon daughter who like working in concert with like a a 13 and 10 former mma fighter who like, now, now like yeah finds women in zagreb and is like can you jack off on camp for me <laughs> uh like it's you know clean your own backyard first take care of the own the evil women in your own life. yeah <laughs> yeah or, or how, about, or how and, about, and it's like it's like none of what he suggests people do would have worked for him no like if he had had a really clean room is his daughter not going to be like all right go into siberia bucko <laughs> she doesn't care she's evil how about just stand up for yourself dude or just like i don't know uh, seek medical treatment in a country that's not in you know the former soviet union yeah what a well, nightmare. now he's gonna. I can't wait to see what kind of uh, home remedies she suggests for the COVID. I'm sure they're all gonna yeah, make hydrochloroquine well, no. look like Tylenol PM. She's gonna do everything from road to Wellville. Yeah, Peterson is gonna get <laughs> ten types of fucking animals and drop dead. Yeah, no. As soon as he turned over his um uh, uh, checking account number yeah. and routing details, uh, the Russian doctors hit him in the head with a giant mallet to uh, reverse the flow of virus through his uh, <laughs> through his strength system. Can you imagine? There is no industrialized country where it would. I I would less want medical care from than Russians. Yeah. Oh my, yeah. Like, uh, what the fuck? No, yeah. thank you. It, no, thank you. Like, yeah. Like, was the medical school attached to like a taxi trade school? <laughs> like, no, thank you, dude. If he needs intubation, they're gonna have to use like fireplace bellows. <laughs> <laughs> and as, and the last ditch effort is they lower him into the Chernobyl Chernobyl reactor and see what happens. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, very, what an very, all, yeah. Oh, very dark times. I mean, I just like even he doesn't deserve this shit. Even he Seriously. doesn't deserve it. No, no brutal. one does. Yeah. He's, just a, I mean, he's just like a dork who wrote a bad book. He does not deserve to be trapped in in some fucking nightmare uh Arthur Kessler uh 
fantasy in, in behind the Iron Curtain. Ugh, very dark. Um, should we should we clap and officially start? Yeah. Okay, let's go. All right, greetings, friends. Let's officially uh, kick off the show. It's an OG Drive Boys app. Just me, Matt, and Felix here for you. Just to officially kick things off today, um, I want to start right in strong with this, Felix, I have some exciting news for you. And that is that uh, Catherine and I have, are now three episodes in to Billions. And we are I, on that. I knew you would Dude, love it. We, uh, okay, Felix, you describe the show as financial sons of anarchy, which is such a good description for it. And like that, <laughs> that put me in the right mindset to start watching it. But I was truly truly unprepared for how horny this show is it is okay if you haven't seen it billions is essentially it is written by a sort of group of middle-aged men who are typing on their laptops with their boners like that's how like it's there was a scene in which like the in-house therapist for axe capital like the 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 hedge fund and like the in-house therapist is paul giamatti's smoking hot wife who's also a dominatrix played by maggie siff from Sons of Anarchy and Mad Men. Her job is to talk to traders and like the COO about his ass to mouth fantasy and what it says about his managerial style. And then in a, <laughs> and then in a subsequent scene, she tells her friend over wine, she's like, I fucking love my job because it turns me on so much. And it's just like, <laughs> she's talking to just degenerate, horny old men all day who are just like, when I think about, sticking my dick in a woman's ass it gets me harder than money and then she's like hmm how does that make you feel and it's just like it, this show is written by guys with it is the most cum brain show i have ever seen in my life yeah it's just middle-aged men with like the Pornhub vip pass what yeah it is 100 guys who relate everything to sex and not just like sex like god intended us for it to have it with the lights on the woman on top, and then no condom or anything, no <laughs> IUD, none of that crap. Uh, just letting the chips fall where they may. If you're supposed to have a kid that year, you will. If you're not, you know, enjoy your free ride, both of you. Um, it, for like we like for guys who make ten million dollars a year, but you know, want to be want to be strapped to like a rotating crucifix and peed on. <laughs> it's awesome. It is awesome. It is. A show by and for pornography addicts. Yes, um, yes. It, it is, yeah. I consider it some of the finest representation in media. And <laughs> the best thing is, like, yeah, like, a lot of the story, I don't want to spoil a lot for you because you're three episodes in, but, like, it gets so convoluted and fucked up, but it's great because it's actually very true to its source material. Like, it's about guys who are smart in this very technical sense where they can create and describe to you and profit off of these very complex financial instruments and uh, micro market movements to indicate what's going on in another sector and like, oh, we can use that to short sell this and like sell options on that. But as just as guys in their life are incredibly stupid, like shockingly so. And that's very true of the hedge fund world. And also, something I also love about the show, it secretly has better politics than anyone else because every prosecutor is portrayed as so a power, bad. Oh my god, power mad sociopath who will sell out any and all of his friends and will do it for nothing. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely enjoying Billions. Um, yeah, like I said, was not prepared for the amount of boners that. I mean, the show I haven't seen it involve. yet, but isn't the very first scene Paul Giamatti getting peed on or something? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. He gets a cigarette put out on him, and then, and then she's like, that burns. How about I cool it down? And then she pisses on his chest. Uh, spoiler alert, though, I, I thought it was a high end escort. It's actually his wife. Who is also the weird uh, sex therapist yes. for the hedge yes. fund? Yes. That's what that's what's so like Sons of Anarchy or Nip Talk. I, yes. I also compare this heavily to Nip Talk, and it's literally got a Maggie Siff in it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like it's almost like a bad hypothetical. Like, fellas, you're married to Maggie Siff, smoking hot, right? Yeah. And she also makes ten million dollars a year being a therapist to yeah. awful hedge fund traders, and she pisses on you. Oh. <laughs> But she works for your enemy, and you're the U.S. prosecutor. Can He's you do the, it? Yes. Okay, fellas, you're the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Manhattan. You are on, on the fucking fast track to become the next governor of New York and maybe the president. You have a fucking killer record putting guys in jail for, in, right, for 20 years in Sing Sing for doing mail fraud. Uh, your, major fr- your father's friend commits suicide by um, prosecuting him. Um, would you do that job if your smoking hot wife also electro stims your prostate to quote <laughs> keep you in the moment and keep you grounded so you can do your job? It's like all the sex shit of them just like draining their balls in the most perverted, insane way possible is just so that they can have their like head clear to just like be on the Bloomberg terminal. That's why when that's why Axe is uh, Damian Lewis. Who, he doesn't really seem to have sex, at least so far. No, I don't no, know. He just like the only times he has sex is like missionary with his wife. Yes, he has like, a, he is, like, he's the only non-perverted character on the show. Yeah, he's like well, like he he's like the strongest character in many ways because well, he sounds exactly like Donald Trump. Like Damian Lewis just completely affects Trump's accent. So <laughs> yeah, Captain Winters is up there and he's like, "We gonna get any big trades in?" Like he speaks exactly like Trump during that. Uh, New York Post article that Trump planted about stopping the mugger. It's incredible. <laughs> and his, like, his reward for, like, you know, destroying the electricity grid of El Salvador is, <laughs> all right, I'm going to pork my wife regular style. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's awesome. That, see, that's, uh, that's a grounded, uh, well-rounded individual right there. I'm very, I'm yeah. very excited. I, like, I, re- I really needed a new, a, new, a new program. I needed some new stories. And Billions is really, it, it's, it's, filling, it's filling all my holes. You know and, what? And, and like, electro-stimming them. Underrated <laughs> thing about Billions, and I think this is a conscious joke because it is like, it's actually very, subtle is a weird word to use, but it is subtly like poisonous towards these types of people, towards like, highly professional libs like someone who would be sdny u.s attorney it's like uh paul giamatti and maggie siv never you'd never see them with their kids they have two kids they're never they're they're just always with some help or like at school like they never talk to them they're just always at home like hissing at each other or peeing or getting peed on yeah like it's awesome so, so paul giamatti um, just sort of little rage teddy bear that he is, is married to, you know, dime of all dimes, Maggie Siff. But it doesn't even stop there because his father, like, has, like, another smoking hot mistress who they, like, openly discuss. It's just every weird old man on this show is just, like, fucking just, just surfing just all oh, man, the time. It's not really a spoiler, but 
or I, it's not a spoiler if I don't explain the context, but did you see the clip I posted of the father? Yeah, it was one of the, the most. That's what, the father that's what, Okay, so that, that clip is what convinced me to watch the show where he's, I, I don't know, I haven't gotten there in the plot yet, but he's talking to Paul Giamatti and some other hot woman who I guess is his next wife or whatever, and he just gives her a lecture about like, listen, sugar tits, take your birth control pills and throw them in the goddamn toilet. Get a baby inside you. Stop worrying so much and stop complaining. You kids today, shut the fuck up. Dad. Give a marriage seven years before you even entertain the notion of a divorce. Dad. From the day the Dorsey brothers showed that Presley boy swiveling his hips, there's been a slow but steady erosion of the family. Well, here is how you keep one going. You find a group of friends better than you. Find one worse. Bitch about them to each other. And then when you're all bitched out, run 10 miles a day. Take your birth control pills and flush them. And make that kid your project together. And if Ira doesn't know how to fuck you, you teach him. Okay. Yeah. Get in the kitchen. He's uh, Well, I think, in my opinion, I think more than anything, Giovanni's character is based on Elliot Spitzer. Probably. And and maybe it's Eric Snyderman, too, who also had some, some, some kink issues, shall we say. Yeah. Um. Well, I think the one of the big Spitzer parts is Spitzer also had a psycho rich dad. Spitzer's dad was worth like half a billion New York real estate uh, developer and mogul. And you have to figure anyone who made half a billion dollars in New York real estate in the 1960s is like that. They'll yeah. just like see some hot woman and be like, listen, dumbass, you have to run 10 miles a day. You have to find one friend dumber than you. You have to ruin their life. <laughs> oh, wait, no, his dad also says he's like, and don't forget the lemon test. Squeeze some lemon on your fingertips. Put it in your snatch. If it burns, you're bringing something bad home, sweet. Yeah, no, it, it's oh, it's an awesome show. It is. It's an accurate depiction of like everyone involved. I, for as like Sons of Anarchy, it is like for as ridiculous as some of the stuff does. The characters are true to what they are, and that's what I love about it. I like. I went from season one, episode one, for the episode we did with Amber. All the way to being totally caught up in like three weeks. Wow. Okay. Well, I've got yeah. some. We've, we've got some. We've got some watching to do. But I'll be. I'll be checking back in with you as Billions develops. Yeah. So, um, as long as we're talking about people and things that are true to themselves, in spite of it all, in spite of their awfulness, them remaining having a certain uh, insane authenticity gives gives them a little a little pleasure and enjoy in the enjoyment of their company. And of course, I'm talking about Joe Biden. And let's, let's get into the news this week because, like, I got three Biden polls for you that are each individually. We could probably do an entire episode on them. So this is this is just he, Biden continues to fulfill our, you know, uh, our, our he's the the prophecy that, that that we have spoken into life. Uh, Biden continues to live up to our expectations. Chris, let's run that first clip. It's probably probably the best Biden clip. We, we've we've featured yet it's a full show. spectrum by, by yeah, this, this is this is uh, he's a five tool player in this clip yeah mr vice president your opponent in this election president trump has made your mental state a campaign topic and when asked in june if you had been tested um for cognitive decline you've responded that you're constantly tested in in, F, in effect because you're in situations like this on the campaign trail but please clarify specifically have you taken a cognitive no test? i haven't taken a test why the hell would i take a test come on man that's like saying you know, before you got in this program if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not what do you think huh are, are you a junkie? what do you say 
to President Trump, who brags about his test and makes your mental state an issue for voters? Well, if he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Did you watch that? Look, come on, man. I, I, I know you're trying to goad me, <laughs> but I mean, I'm so forward looking to have an opportunity to We're sit with to the have. president or stand with or the stand, president in debates. Stand, however there will be plenty of time. And by the way, as I joke with him, you know, it, I, I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I don't I, I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I am, uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical and mental fil- my physical as well as my mental fitness and uh, to, uh, you know, to make a judgment about who I am. Oh, my God. Vapor locking oh. on mental fitness oh. twice in a row. How do you beat that? He's like, I love how, like, there's so much to love about this oh, clip. I've been rewatching and rewatching, but like, I love how the question the reporter asked is, um, you know, Trump's talked a lot about his cognitive test. Would you take one? And Biden's like, I mean, you know, skip through all the hilarious stuff of demanding the guy take some type of cocaine test. But uh, <laughs> being like, I know you're trying to goad me. Like, I know you would only ask me that if you hated me. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, that's his whole attitude towards yeah. any remotely challenging question. It's the same as Trump. It just yes. assumes assumes hostility and then just dismisses the person on the on that basis like when trump did the thing with the guy who goes you can't do that yeah it's like you're not al- you're not allowed to to not uh, accept my frame on every issue but let's because go down they're, the, they're confused old men let's go down the list here though like because in, in that in that like <clears throat> 30 second clip he exhibits like all of like the all of the biden tools we've got we've got two really good come on mans which honestly should just be his campaign slogan. At this Absolutely, point. it no, should be Biden twenty twenty. Come on, man! Like I mean, that's that, what that, he's that sums it up. That's so perfect. It's so pithy. It, it, it's it's brilliant. Like it's as good as make America great again. Because like it's the perfect response to that. It's just America twenty twenty. Come on, man. Okay, then uh, to to the question about would he take a cognitive test? He like he's like, uh, are you kidding me, man? Did you take a cocaine test? Are you some kind of junkie? Uh, like to a to a non-white journalist asking him this question, which is like a little bit weird, a little bit weird. But here's the thing: no one cares. Nope. No one like who who out there would tr- could, like who could try to make an issue out of this that would yeah. go anywhere at all. Yeah, right. no I, I noticed it's, a weird yeah. thing about this is that a lot of people who have been humorously observing liberals for the last four years out, freak out about every Trump gaffe and and stupid statement and 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 scandal. Uh, saying oh this is gonna be it for him and they go really what uh idiot and then you know that's why poor jesse farr had to delete his classic on nevertheless tweet because it got too common but i think a lot of people who have totally understood that like trump is beyond this shit they still think like i've seen people talk about these clips about biden like wow oh my god they might lose the trump is like he might lose to Trump. Who knows what's going to happen? But it's not going to be because of anything like this. This new, the new reality is now like absorbed into the entire political system. And guess what? All those liberals who spent four years mad at Trump and outraged by every stupid thing he said, they were also deeply jealous that Republicans didn't care and they wanted to not care. And now they don't have to care. Yeah, and, it's and ecstatic. It, yeah. All the stuff where like, you know, they talked about how like, 
liberals were unprepared to respond to Trump. And that was mostly true because the response to Trump was their same insufficient response that they had to Bush, they had to Reagan, that they had to anyone else where it's like, oh, we're going to fact check you. We're going to do it. But it's like, what if you had like a man who his brain has just reverted to its last state before death, which is vividly remembering every small event from 50 years ago (laughs) and not knowing where you are? It's My like dad could drive that's a car. the perfect response. Yes, and it's the per- it's the perfect response because it's like okay, when we remember how we felt like after Nevada. And my specific feeling after Nevada and with Bernie was like we were at this pivotal moment, this unprecedented beautiful moment in American history that I never thought we would get to, where it was accepted that we were at the end of the American empire. And that Americans, specifically the Democratic base, was going, okay, we want a guy whose basic message is this empire is over. I am going to negotiate our withdrawal so we can live a life in dignity. This unpre- like an unprecedented series of priorities that no Democrat in my life had ever, ever put forth. And it was a, it was a stark realism. I didn't know quite how we got there, but I, I knew there were a billion different reasons we could have got there. But I was foolish to think that because the two competing messages now are realizing they all realize that this is over. But the one message is Trump and it's going, no, it's not over. What are you talking about? We're in better shape than ever. What do, what do you mean? Like we're actually the only reason we have more COVID cases is because of testing. We have more testing because we're still more technologically advanced. We have we have better infrastructure than everyone. We all know that's not true. But it, for some like some 30 percent of the country, that's always going to feel better to say to yourself. But then the other option is I know it's over. Die with me and remember all the good times. <laughs> Die with me. Sit, take my hand as I sink into the fucking ground and let's talk about how good our dads were at driving. Let's talk about, like, let's remember the time, uh, a time when, like, a confident enough low IQ white guy could go as far as I have. And it's like, why, why did Biden fail two times before? Because we weren't quite done yet. We weren't yeah. ready enough to have this yep. guy there. And his brain wasn't dying enough. Yeah, yeah now, it's true. Now, yeah. now that the only thing he can remember is, like, my dad used to take me to to stand on a ice cream stand. Excuse me, it was owned by a Welsh man. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to say that. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, no, but, I mean, it, like just remember, like the like the big fish thing, where you just remember every <laughs> bullshit thing that happened to your life. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's just like the in the in the, in the clip that we just played. Um, we got come on, man. We got some outrageous suggestion that um, you take someone take a cocaine test, but also underrated. Uh, is the moment where he corrects himself or like stops himself. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm not going to say it. That's, yes. that's, that's another power Biden move. But yeah, no, Felix, you mentioned, uh, the, the, the sort of nostalgic euthanasia aspect of Biden, Biden. And this next clip, um, which you like alluded to about driving the car is also just a, just the perfect manifestation of this moment and and what he represents in our culture so let's let's play the let's play the next biden clip i like to drive i used to think i was a good driver (laughs) before they took my license away (laughs) i didn't get a chance to flat shift in the second i was afraid i'd go through those guys Tomorrow morning, we're talking about cars and what car you'd like to see come back. I love this car. Nothing but incredible memories. Every time I get in, I think of my dad and Bo. God, can my dad drive a car. Oof. 
The thing I like most <laughs> is the setup right here. And you feel like you're in complete control. This is just boom. Now, you can stand in the front here. This is iconic industry. How can American-made vehicles no longer be out there? I believe that we can only. See, I wonder how that happened. Market again, by moving yeah, literally everything vehicles. you did in your career. And by the way, they tell me, and I'm looking forward if it's true to driving one, that they're making an electric Corvette and go 200 miles an hour. You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. Yes, Joe Biden <laughs> so, should drive a car 200 miles an hour. That would go well. <laughs> Okay. Okay. There is just let him go. So, just uh, letting him go down the fucking uh, <laughs> driveway <laughs> to give the impression a, that he can still operate a motor vehicle. So this is this is Joe Biden talking about like you know he's 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 talking about and driving around. It's like a classic Corvette convertible, which is just like the ultimate symbol of uh, both both American prosperity and like uh, economic and industrial prowess, but also. Uh, coolness, like a sort of uh, modernity, a sexiness, and like it, it's uh, like a better time. And it's just the, like the 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 image of like you know this sort of he's got the sunglasses on, he's got his like snow white hair slicked back, just looking at a Corvette, going like, man, that was the best, wasn't it? God, my dad could drive. Oof, God, you love these cars. They were great. You know, one day we're, Ray, we're gonna make these cars again, and it's like. No, we're fucking not. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're not coming. We're not coming back to be like, oh, we're like, America is going to lead the world in making cars again. It's just like Felix, like you said, like literally everything you've done in your life in politics has made that impossible at this point. And we would actively oppose like any attempt to, I don't know, restart American manufacturing to any degree. But it's just like this reminds me of like a- as a campaign ad, as a- as a feeling. It reminds me of the scene in Soylent Green at the end when Edward G. Robinson gets wheeled into the euthanasia center and they just show him like a film strip of like sunsets and deer frolicking and he's just sort of blown away by it. And I think like like that that narcotic effect, that nostalgic euthanasia is what Joe Biden is both experiencing in his own brain as it, you know, turns off. But it's it's what is uh, what, what people respond to in him. Is just this idea of like, yeah, like we're all dying. Like this country is pretty much defeated at this point entirely. I mean, look, just look, just look fucking around. But man, <laughs> it's like it's like what you were saying. It's like how him and Trump are like the perfect inverse. And like, what kind of old person whose yeah. brain is fitzing out? Like, do you want to be yeah. one who like is just angry and shouting at the home care nurses and fucking like demanding and arguing every point, or do you just want one who's just like mm, ice cream in the day room? Yeah. Because you know? it's about whether or not you acknowledge reality. Because like the Donald Trump way of being old is no, I'm still here. I'm still with it. Uh, give give me the nuclear codes. Give me the give me the car, give me the car keys. And and Biden is at the point of acceptance where he's like, oh yeah, no, this is it. Uh, I'm entering the last the dimly lit hallway of my life. And if this is all I have, I might as well, uh, you know, reflect on what I what I've enjoyed, and that's ice cream cones and driving around with my dad and his uh, in his vet. And when we if we elect him. It will be the national transition from denial to acceptance in the Kubler Ross cycle regarding yeah. America's destiny. It will be it will be America collectively saying, "Yeah, okay, this is it. Uh, let's let's go out remembering some guys and, but and crucially, some tunes." But crucially, to Felix Felix's point, and, and no part of like the denial or acceptance stages, uh, did do either of these plans include like 
rationally and soberly like assessing the problems that this country has and, and suggesting like sober, reasonable solutions to any of them. No, those yeah. aren't, that's not going to happen. The, and they the know anything, that. Yeah. The, if we, uh, if we go on both of them for an infinite timeline, like if you found this endless supply of dementia addled Democrats with like some weird bullshit, Northeastern charm or a bunch of just weird morons who have enough of a combination of childhood trauma and brain damage uh, on the Republican side, the ending on a long enough timeline is the same. It's uh, it's American consulates, the spies, the increasingly dumber spies with every generation, the troops, the fatter, shorter, whatever troops being pointed out of the embassy, loaded onto planes by bayonets. It's it's food shortages. It's stuff we've already seen like a pandemic comes and we don't have enough masks when we need them. It's the same conclusion. It's the same sad, slow collapse, the giant falling over, Godzilla collapsing. Florida slowly disappearing. Yeah. It's the same conclusion, but one is done screaming against the sun. Uh, Just complete social strife everywhere. Denial, rage, finding out every enemy internal and external that explains why we're not back. We're not the America of Reagan. We're not Pax Americana like we have with Trump. Or it's like, you know, you look you look at the fall of Saigon happening in 70 countries concurrently. You watch the empire get decapitated. You watch just the collapse of any type of competence or ability to deal with any internal problem. And you go, wow, well, uh, that sometimes that happens, man. I tried my best. Um, to, to pull back from the macro and look at the micro, I something I love about the car ad is it's about it's about masculinity. Yeah. And you can't imagine Trump driving a car. I don't think he knows <laughs> yeah. how to. He's I don't think yeah. he's ever actually yeah. driven a vehicle under power in his life. And, and one thing I think is amazing is the Hillary people and all the other Democrats, their message with Trump was he's toxically masculine. <laughs> And I always yeah. thought that was the most insane <laughs> fucking thing. And I know toxically masculine doesn't mean that you're the most masculine. But blah, blah, blah. How do you think that comes off to most people? But Biden, Biden is old enough and the people around him are old enough that he's like, yeah, this guy's a fat pussy. <laughs> like, and he is right. Yeah. I think he's right about that. Yeah. He's he a is, fat pussy who can't drink water. There's yes, something about there's something about the line in, in in that video clip though. It's the one that like everyone comes on to is like first it like it just begins where he's saying like I love to drive, I love to drive, and then when he just goes, man, my dad could drive a car. Oof. <laughs> it's just like it's something. There's there, there's a poignance in it. It's like a threnody uh, for uh, both the individual and 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 America itself. It's just like. We can't. We we don't. We don't even drive our cars like our father Dupree. You know, we're weaker than them. You know. And yes. Contrast that with how he talks about literally anything else. He's, it's just a. It's just a, a chore to get through a sentence. All relate uh, anything related to like the way he's talking about the thing at the end with the the industry where he goes. I can't believe they're not making cars no more for America. Just loses coherence. Loses energy. Just starts mumbling. But with thinking about his dad behind the wheel, it's like. He's he's ready to like launch a fucking Proustian reverie. He's actually gets coherent and he gets emotionally coherent. That that the corn pop story. Yeah. The story that, like I again talking about how foolish we were, when I heard corn pop, it's like, oh, this is nothing. This is done. But it's like 
I was so foolish to misjudge this country and the people in it because it's like, no, we just want to remember that when like you could just be like a cool white guy at a pool and yeah. become the legend of your shitty northeast town. <laughs> or touchdowns yeah. in a single game. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's I should have noticed because whenever he was at the debates, it was hilarious. Like just the transcripts of the shit he would say at the debates was so funny. And it makes me think of in that first clip when he goes, I'm so forward looking. It's so conspicuous that he can't even get through that because he's not, he doesn't want to think about the future at all, ever. He'll be dead. Yeah, yeah, very soon. Like when it comes to the past, he could tell an entire like story that takes place over the course of six hours flawlessly. Like he told the corn pop story flawlessly. Mm -hmm. Compare that to him trying to talk about taxes, the thing that he's supposed to be doing. But no, that's not the thing we're electing him for. We're no. electing him to just walk around the country and be like, you know, oh, I, 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 re- I remember when I like, you know, fought another boy over who got dibs on the jukebox. Like just a flawless re- recounting of a time where, you know, this country wasn't such a degrading place to live. Yep. Yeah. No, well, I mean, they're, they're actually pitching. I, mean, yeah. I remember when, when John, uh, John Stewart did his little media push for his movie a month ago and he was like, you know, I've come around. I used to just be like, I'll take Biden just to beat Trump. But now I think he's going to be a great president because look at how good he is at giving eulogies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look at how good yeah. he is at, at evoking, at evoking uh, a sense of, of grief for people who are hurting. Like, yeah, that's just he's selling himself to be the designated mourner for the dying country on the fucking slab. Yeah. Yeah, that is. The the I love how multiple people, different people without talking to each other, have talked about how good he is at funerals. Yeah. Like it's the most uh it's like it's like this mass acceptance of death. It's yeah. the, not accepting it enough to be like, okay, we need Bernie, we need to like we need to negotiate our exit from Empire. Well, that's and the thing we can is, live they these don't amazing lives. Like, yeah. Like, no, that's, yeah. That's an experimental treatment that they don't have any faith in or ability to afford. Like given yeah. the current constraints, which of course guys like Biden exist to maintain, and since it's not something that can be conceived of, then death is inevitable. And yes, we might as well accept it. Well, uh, yes, uh, eulogizer in chief. You know, I mean, I think that is that is really the perfect way to to think about Biden. That's just, I mean, lo- I mean, look around, look around this fucking country. Like, look what's going on right now. Like, does anyone really think like we're oh, we're, we're like our be- you know we're going to get out of this or we're going to learn yeah. anything or we're going to fucking like our better days are to come. I mean, like, come on, come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Biden. Yeah, come on, man. Just that's it. What, what else can you say? Um, uh, moving on though. I want to talk about um, another bygone era um, that people like to reminisce about. Um, it's the, uh, they're talking about the, of course, the Obama presidency. And uh, we, we have a little bit of a competition now here in the podcast game. And of course, I'm talking about Michelle Obama's new podcast just came out on Spotify. And I'd like to read a little bit of uh, the review for it from uh, Vox.com. Uh, headline here, the first episode of Michelle Obama's podcast proves it's fun to just hang out with the Obamas. Michelle Obama is great and making you feel like she's your friend. That's why her podcast is so good. So, yeah, the Obamas have already picked up on the, you know, sort of parasocial elements of a podcast and sort of like, you know, you uh, you ma- maintain some some illusion that, you know, we're all just in the same room hanging out with your hanging out with your boys. But uh, I just want to read here. It says here, 
Uh, into this moment of profound nostalgia for the pre-2016 election comes the Michelle Obama podcast, now streaming exclusively on Spotify. Obama interviews celebrities, close friends, and family members, and talks about her own life and the issues that are important to her. In the first episode, which dropped July 29th, she interviews her husband, Barack, about marriage, community, and the value of public service. The Obamas don't say anything particularly earth-shattering together. The general thrust of their conversation is that the U.S.'s culture of individualism is unsustainable and that it is important for people to be invested in serving their communities and making sure that the government serves them. They talk about the way everyone looked at everyone, everyone looked after everyone else's kids in the neighborhood where they grew up and how giving back to one's community is the key to happiness. And they do it all with their characteristic, characteristic combination of warmth and reason. One of the reasons I fell in love with you, Michelle Obama begins early on the end of the interview. It was because of my looks, Barack Obama injected jokingly. No, Michelle responds shortly. I mean, you're cute, but no. One of the reasons I fell in love with you is you're guided by the principle that we are our brother and brothers and sisters keepers. And that's how I was raised. So, uh, yeah, that's that's Barack and M- Michelle. Well, yeah, good. Yeah. Uh- Hey, uh, yeah, you guys should really be more community-minded and less individualistic. By the way, we're not going to do anything to make America anything less than a fucking uh, hellhole of of a monetized uh, competition where no one is able to fucking stop for five seconds on their fucking hustle or they'll starve to death. That's really going to work, you fucking scumbag. Um, I just there's, there's one. You guys should get some more community. You guys should do some more community. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here, here's some fucking apps for that. Uh, uh, you guys should all like pay each other to be like. Uh, you should do you should do like it's a seamless for a community where you call someone and they come to your house and hang out for five minutes for ten dollars. I mean, it also does remind me of like Obama speaking at uh, John Lewis's funeral where he made this like pitch for like we need uh, Election Day to be a national holiday and all of these like, you know, efforts to undo uh, voter suppression. And it's just like, man, I wish he was president. You know, that way, you know, someone can do something about these problems. Right. But um. There's just one thing Michelle Obama here said about like just in, just in context of like uh, saying uh, the U.S. culture of individualism is unsustainable. And like on a certain surface level, she's right. I mean, insofar as like if you look at how we're responding to this pandemic as opposed to like literally any other nation on the planet, it would be easy to diagnose our problems as being like we are we're too individualistic to like uh, you know, be, engage in the kind of collective uh, safety and sort of like caring for others that like such a, that, you know, a, a, the spread of a virus would demand. However, I, I, um, I've been a little weirded out recently about like these saying like, Oh, America is just too individualistic. And I think the word that's more appropriate is we're too selfish. We're too selfish. But when I look around American culture and like the culture that we've sort of, uh, lauded and, 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 uh, incubated and are now seeing reaping the rewards of right now, I don't really view this this country and its culture is one that is intensely individualistic. I really think we are one of the most conformist, cowed, and and just sort of like beaten down peoples on the planet. And it's just like our problems are are are, are not a measure of like I don't know that being I don't know if it's that we're too focused on the individual, but it's just like it's it's this yes, like we're intensely focused on the self, but I don't see that it's not like the the selves that we're, we're desperately trying to protect and like the expense of everyone else is like individualistic. It's just sort of stupid and greedy, but everyone basically well, is the same purpose as it's the same marketized. personality. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, yes, we're individualistic, but it's individualistic in a context of a fully marketized culture where all, all expressions of individuality 
are manifested in the market but through purchasing, through consumption. And that's it. And that means it's going to be constrained. That means that, 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 that you are being disciplined and, con- and made conformist at every level, every moment, but it's all being done uh, through an invisible action. At least it, 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 it is not perceived you know, because it is, it is hidden by the market hand. I mean, that was the big switch em up that happened in the 70s is, oh, if permanent austerity is the new normal, uh, people are going to chafe at the enforcement of that if it's certainly if it's carried out in the same way by the government, the same way that you know the po- managed by the government, the same way that the post-war prosperity era was managed. If the market does it, there's all the same coercion, but mm-hmm. it's all made invisible, and then we get to imagine ourselves to be free, even as things get worse and worse, and we have no ability to to turn the tide, and we only every have to adapt to worsening conditions, but it's not perceived of as a a in position upon us. It's reimagined every day as the workings of our individual desires in the marketplace. Yeah, and then we find ourselves completely atomized and host- hostile to anything that isn't immediate pleasure, uh, and think we got there of our own volition. Yeah, I mean, like that's uh, the word. It's not it, individualism. It, it, it's atomization. Like that's what we're atomized. We're not individualized. Yeah. We're all very, very much the fucking. We are same. Pringles in the tube. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I always thought of our individualism as it's a consolation prize. You are not yeah. afforded certain dignities, certain guarantees, a certain standard of life, unless a few things break lucky. But you have that. One thing that I do think is interesting in the last uh, tw- 10 to 15 years of democratic governance or, I guess, center, center governance is uh, you don't even get the individualism anymore. You can't even you have all these like little foibles of uh, European style social democracy. Like you can't buy the big soda. You can't buy the flavored vape. You can't have a gun. You can't do any of this shit. But without any of the guarantees of basic dignity, because you have to the only way that the uh, Democrat or the Michael Bloomberg in the soda's case can be made to look as if they're doing something in the face of all this Mm -hmm. is by uh, by whittling away at little bullshit consolation Wings prizes. are not substantial enough yeah. to count as sit-down meals at restaurants so you can buy yeah. alcohol. I, and I used to be puzzled by that. Like, why do Democrats do that? Because it's so, like, it's so... It's an illusion of action. Right. Control over anything. Because you, it's the only way they can look like they're doing something. Right. It's, it's the they, same they, reason they, yeah. It's the same reason Andrew Cuomo won't raise taxes by 1% on, like, all the billionaires in this mm-hmm. fucking state in the midst of, like, a once-in-a-century crisis. And... You know, I mean, it, it is perverse. Vox doesn't really mention it, but the the other clip everyone shared from this fucking podcast was just Barack and Michelle scolding young people for being like not engaged in politics or like not knowing enough about how government works and just being on like the TikToks all the day. And it's just like you were president for fucking eight years. You had a chance to respond to like, again, another once in a generation like economic crisis. And you decided to rather than uh, make every homeowner who lost their got underwater, make them whole again. You decided to bail out the banks to the tune of a trillion dollars and literally no one else. So don't fucking complain to me that young people or really anyone in this country is turned off of politics or that their disillusion with it is the result of not understanding how things work. I think the cynicism of young people or really anyone in this country at any level of education or engagement with politics or the news or anything is that we understand very well how things work. 
It's just like it's it's the people in power. They're they're the ones that are not cynical enough, or at least they pretend not to be. But yeah, I mean, it's just like to to get for them to lecture young people who were the ones who put him in office with like all of their hopes for a better or different future, and then have him fucking immediately sell them out. And then go back to like, you know, in his post-presidency, just sort of scolding them for being like, hmm, go back. You need to learn how a bill becomes a law. It's like, please fuck off. Like, please fuck meanwhile, off. Meanwhile, he's doing Emperor Palpatine behind the scenes shit to ensure that young people who would want to participate in the primary that just wrapped up were uh, subject to massive intentional voter suppression. <laughs> yep. It's pretty good. 500 fucking voting places in LA closed. Oh, these kids, they don't want to vote. The only I guy- will say, I did enjoy the part where Michelle asked him who his guys were, and he said the Prophet Muhammad. <laughs> the, the only guy I made in that lane of uh, former Democratic presidents, former big wheels down at the cracker factory of the DNC, who I may hate more than Obama is Bill Clinton. And oh, that's God, yeah. only, only, Bill Clinton only edges out Obama because he did that much more damaging austerity and raped let's say hundreds or thousands of children <laughs> allegedly but yeah, I, think allegedly, yeah. I mean yeah a, a fair let's just say a fair portrait of bill clinton and his behavior could be inferred from just matters of the public record i saw i saw a really funny tweet about like the latest uh uh like like the epstein files that were released in the jelaine case where someone was like is this woman like defending bill clinton and she was just like look Believe me, if he had done any of the, if he had been like having sex with underage girls, we would know about it. Trust me. And I'm like, the single most widely known fact about Bill Clinton globally is that he fucked a 20 year old intern who was working for him while he was in office. So are you really telling me it's beyond the pale to imagine that, I don't know, shave a few years off uh, that he would have some sort of moral problem stepping across that line? I mean, you could try to you could try to make that case, but um, if you're relying just purely on the public record as like a defense of his character, try harder. I have I have an insanely I have a fucking scorcher. Go for it. It's the most anti-Semitic thing you can do, and for it to be acceptable, is to think that Alan Dershowitz did that and Bill Clinton did it. <laughs> like yeah because yes. it's the same it's the exact same circumstances the only difference is like bill clinton like does his smooth gentile style denials of like oh never blah, blah, blah. okay i mean like he's smooth and dershowitz of course fucks it up by going out there and being like i i have video of my wife recording me with a child and no penetration happened <laughs> like I no, give, they both did it they both did i it. give way more credit to the MAGA dipshits who think that Bill Clinton was at the Epstein Island all the, all the time and and don't think that Trump had anything to do with it because at least they have an a insane but internally coherent idea where Trump is the white hat undercover pedophile who's <laughs> yeah. going to bring them all down. What that? What is the reverse? Like the, the liberals who post pictures of Trump and Epstein and be like, look at this guy and then say, well, what about Bill Clinton? It's like, what? They were just friends. It's like you can't even argue that he was some sort of undercover pedo hunter. Yeah, and, you know, he, and, yeah, and also he did nothing. And also, like with the the Jelaine thing, now like the funniest thing to do is just like 
I mean, she had a photo taken of her with literally every famous and powerful person in the world. And now people are trying to say like, oh, she had photos taken with everyone. This doesn't prove anything. And it's just like, (laughs) I guess on its own, it's not, you know, probative or you can't make a case about it. But it should tell you something about, I don't know, the world in which the people who rule us find themselves in and the things that they, I don't know, take for granted or accept as natural or normal. Like, I mean, yeah, like it, it just... It's not exactly. I, I don't think any every single person who's had a photo taken with Jelaine is is part of some sort of like child sex trafficking conspiracy. But it is odd that she seemed to get around that much and Did be you, that you accepted and be like that universally accepted into the world of wealth and power. Did you ever read Reed Hoffman's explanation for why he uh, had those dinners with Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> no, what did he say? He said. I mean, he was just interested in, you know, raising money for science. It's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, th- that's, yeah, it, it speaks and to the heart the of that. Dinner, that's like yeah, what you the accept himself, as the baseline he, if it's you're like, going to raise enough money. And again, like, and even if you're like, look, I have to talk to obnoxious rich people to get money for my, you know, science center or whatever, and then you have to do it. And then at the dinner, he spends two hours talking about freezing his dick so that he can live forever. Like, at no point does your mind <laughs> rebel against this or just sort of be like, I'm out. Like, this is this is weird. I'm, yeah. I'm beginning to worry about your commitment to science, Jeffrey. Yeah. And, and the, the most amazing thing about that is that Reed Hoffman himself is incredibly wealthy. I don't think he has any friends that aren't also incredibly wealthy. Yeah. What is it about this one guy? <laughs> is, yeah. Yeah. Is he just he the just best at science. raising money for science? The science it just got him so excited. I mean, yeah. we talk about science, and he'd get so excited he'd have to lo- leave the room with one of his young assistants for upwards of ten minutes at a time. But yeah, no, that's exactly it. Like, even if you do accept all those uh, explanations, it's like so. That's the the baseline for what you can accept if someone is part of your world is very high. Who's it's the woman? Incredibly high. The woman who used to run Reddit. What's her name? Oh, uh. Fuck, uh, Elaine. Elaine something. She yeah. had a tweet where she, after Ghislaine was arrested where she's like, oh, yeah, I was at a thing with her. And this was after after the Epstein arrest and everyone knew about it. And I remember just thinking, wow, they'll let anybody in here. And that's right. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. All right. Oh. Let's see what, uh, to move on slightly, uh, just a, a little bit of different um, political news. Uh, this week, um, uh, Rashida Taleb uh, soundly defeated her her Democratic primary challenger by probably like two to three to one. Um, but I, I just like uh, good for her. I'm very I'm very very glad she uh, she handled that uh, the the primary challenger. A lot of people were definitely preying on her downfall or thought that she was the most vulnerable member of uh, the squad. But I want to bring it up in the context of Ilan Omar, who, as we've talked about on this show, is facing an, uh, a primary challenge herself, which I think the election is coming up next week. And in that context, I would like to read from you, for you guys, a few highlights from Tablet Magazine's profile of her opponent, Anton Melton Mew. And this is oh, so this is written by a guy who's profiled us. Yes. Went to one of our yep. shows. Armin Rosen. Armin Rosen. Yes. Rosen. He was a guy who would he like get a scalp picket for two hundred and fifty dollars yeah. to come see yeah. us in San Francisco and get COVID. And they tried yeah. to imply that that was the price because yeah. he just said I paid that much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To 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 uh, steal from Brace here a bit. How are you going to write about being Jewish when you bought a $25 ticket for 250 <laughs> <laughs> How the fuck are you going to write about our lot? Okay, so like, uh, by the way, though, I mean, I, I know I've talked before about how uh, The Atlantic is the worst magazine in America, but I swear to God, Tablet 
is number one with a bullet. They are they have been putting out some absolute fire lately, and I think like for for a relatively smaller operation, they're they're fighting in a weight class that is truly impressive. Like Tablets Magazine's output has been incredible as of late, and this profile of Anton Melton Moo by Armin Rosen is so fucking good. So I'm just going to read a, a couple highlights here of uh, of the way that you know this is a you know a, a sober journalistic account of a of a of a guy primarying a uh, popular yet controversial congresswoman. So here he goes. I'm just going to jump in here. He says, Her opponent, a 47-year-old lawyer, part-time pastor, and political neophyte named Anton Melton Moo, must now grapple with an emotional historic moment, a telegenic political superstar, and a killer virus, and his job only keeps getting harder. It was clear from the moment I met him that Melton Moo has at least one quality that money can't buy. He was already seated at the conference table when I arrived at 8.52 a.m. on July 21st, meaning he had been at least eight minutes early. He was dressed in a sharp blue blazer and an almost matching surgical mask that never came down from over his nose and mouth. Compared to his often thrillingly unpredictable opponent, Melton Mew is an image of modulation, always speaking at an ideal indoor volume and at a cadence that's never agitated or dull. This levelness is professionally honed. Melton Moo is a lawyer who leads a mediation services firm that he founded seven years ago, a line of work that often requires him to sit down for days at a time with people who sometimes can't stand to be in the same room. He is slim, from what I could tell, almost completely fatless, in the way of someone who runs fatless? a lot. <laughs> in the way of someone who <laughs> runs a lot. Melton Moo recalls... Melton Moo recalled the there recent... There are so many ways to say that someone is thin. He would die if he, he was He invented fatless. one. Yeah. Fatless. It, hey, at least it rolls off the tongue, right? Absolutely. Uh, oh. Look, Fatless. Rosen is an, oh, an abominable writer. I, uh, I, I, I love... It's almost uh, like he's not being paid for his writing prose ability. Yeah, no. <laughs> I love how, like, I, I love the extremely low bar for Melton Mew here. Uh, he wasn't late. He's not 400 pounds uh, he's, he's wearing clothes he's wearing he, wears clothes. A, he, he uses an inside uh, voice he never he never once screamed at me or started whispering something that like Ilan Omar, Omar is notorious for that you can't meet her without her screaming or whispering at you that's <laughs> she's her a, she's, main she's, thing she's a close talker you know we've we've experienced that ourselves you know yeah. but like no it's like all these com- totally banal observations about how impressive this guy is that um he uh, is able to sit down and talk for, you know, upwards of five to ten minutes at a time in a modular, evenly sort of tempered tone of voice. Um, I mean, like, this is all just subtly implying that Ilan Omar is like the opposite of that. Is that like, oh, she's she's huge. She, <laughs> go on a diet, honey. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> um, no, but it goes on here. It says, um, uh, go, if, of course, we get to like you know the, what's really going on here. It says uh, that Israel has become a salient issue in this race during a national crisis around race and policing, hints at the unhealthy obsession with the Jewish state in American politics, as well as Omar's talent for making that obsession work for her. Omar is on the wrong side of American public opinion on just about anything related to Israel, but she has made the world's most emotionally resonant international issue her own and can claim that any opposition is really about punishing her for daring to speak the truth or step out of line. 
Thus, a recent Omar campaign mailer asked, can we trust Anton Melton Moo's money, accusing him of being both in the pocket of Wall Street and the GOP and noting contributions from three wealthy Jews, as well as Michael, a donor from Scarsdale, New York. However unsubtle the flyer's message, the suggestion that Melton Moo is a sleeper agent for a right-wing Jewish conspiracy is potentially damaging enough for him to have to respond. So, like, yeah, this is going on here. It's like this idea that, like, this guy raised $3 million in, like, two months and like, uh, and we all know why and when, like, where that money's coming from. And like, whether it's Jewish organizations or lobbying groups that are doing it, and I'm sure that's probably the most of it. I mean, these are right wing people that are funding this campaign because they hate Ilan Omar for obvious reasons. And I just like the thing that Armin says about how, like, America's unhealthy obsession with the Jewish state. Well, it's just like, you know, I. I'd be fine losing that obsession with the Jewish state if we just stopped giving them billions of dollars every year and backing every fucking thing they do at the UN. We could be yeah, done with it. We no, could, yeah. everyone, no, everyone could stop caring about it tomorrow if we just I wouldn't, yeah, treated them like uh, any other country on the planet. Um, yeah, it's weird that I'm obsessed with this place who, uh, you know, in some states you have to sign a loyalty pledge to do business there. It's a very weird obsession to have. It's a weird obsession to have this fucking unchained mad dog that goes around its region doing fucking whatever at the behest of the worst leaders of our country. It's it's a weird thing to be obsessed with. This this place that we give three billion dollars every fucking year to that gets first pass on all our military technology that has a fucking nuke that we more or less gave to them. It, what a what a strange obsession to have. It's just a normal country. We have no special relationship with it. No, it's Doesn't, like the, certainly our relationship certainly does not. You don't Make get it, yeah, uh, more dangerous. Yeah, you, you don't get drummed out of public life if you're not if, if you if you're not if you if you don't genuflect before it. That doesn't happen. Uh, by the way, I, the GOP has currently introduced a piece of legislation that would make um, any criticism of Zionism essentially hate speech and remove First Amendment protections yeah. from it. So yeah, this is, I, I, sorry I, for I, the unhealthy. Who, who has the unhealthy obsession here? I hate this type of Zionist more than any other. Who pretends this is just a normal country, especially those living in America, who pretends that America has this normal relationship with this normal country, and you're just anti-Semitic if you notice it. I much prefer the psychos who argue that Israel has a special destiny and the special status in the world because at least they're honest about how they're framing this. This is it's just completely fucking and dishonest. Also, and framing. also, like, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a, it is just a normal country, why do they need the three billion dollars a year? Yeah, Can we stop that. Yep. Uh, no, but like, but also like this idea that like, oh, uh, uh, sort of intoning darkly about like where he's raising money from is is like that's in any other political issue. Like, we understand how uh, coordinated groups of people with a, a shared ideology and motivation and lots of money. Uh, work together to enact a political agenda through politics, but like as soon as it becomes Israel, it's just like if you if you if you, if you mention it in that context, then it begins like oh you're talking about cabals and conspiracies and things like that and money and like that's just tainted. So it's like you have to take that completely off the table, which is like no, I'm sorry, I'm not not going to do these, it. Like yeah, it's, this, these, is, this is this is this is a legitimate political issue that functions in the same way as any anything else, whether it's the the fucking whether it's Exxon. Or pharmaceutical companies, like we we understand why they spend money on politicians is to enact and it's it's to support an ideology and 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 foreclose the possibility of them being regulated or having their money taken away or anything. And it's just when it comes to the Israel lobby, sorry, I'm it's it's no fucking different. And no, nor should they get any special fucking consideration or treatment. These are the same people that act like every fucking blue haired, anxiety written college student in America is in collusion against them. 
to uh, to chain the discourse or make it so that Barry Wise can't write for the New Yorker, that there's some grand conspiracy of fucking losers that is successfully stopping them at some end. Uh, it becomes ridiculous when you're talking about one we- one wealthy nation, you know, the defense industry and, uh, you know, their shared political interest here. A very obvious, a very obvious set of dots that you can connect. And like, and, and and again, like the a very another obvious dot to connect is why is this fucking zero challenging her in the first place, and why does he have three million dollars to do it? It's because of who Ilan Omar is and the politics she represents, and that she's like probably one of the only people in the U.S. government at a national level who is even mildly critical of Israel. Uh, just just going on here, uh, he says far beyond individual magnetism or a talent for confrontation. Melton Moo's opponent possesses the rarest and most valuable quality in American politics, one that negative campaigning might actually magnify. She's famous. Since American politics is increasingly a battle of presentation and narrative, it's possible that no pitch, no matter how rational or brilliantly formulated and no sum of money, whether raised in an outer state, can make up for a fame deficit. Melton Moo's earnestness outstrips his charisma, another potentially decisive point of contrast with Omar. Professionally, he is a mediator who is also a part-time pastor. He says he's still passively literate in biblical Hebrew, which he learned at the Union Theological Seminary in New York, a school he attended after several years of working as a lawyer. Melton Mood doesn't seem to be challenging Omar out of egotism, though it's also possible he's underrating the, ch- the chances that a calculated egomania helped Omar become so formidable in a, such a short time. Whatever Omar's record, and no matter where the candidates stand on any issues, he will only win if voters decide they want someone who is close to the opposite of the unique type of political celebrity they chose to represent them the last time around. So yeah, Ilan Omar is an ego-driven celebrity, and this guy uh, makes up for his lack of charisma or point of view with just his earnestness and niceness. And the fact that he used to work for the biggest union-busting law firm in Minnesota. Oh, uh, which Armin Rosen doesn't mention that. And, and he, he what? Just says, no, he just what a shocker. Weird that, like, the Democratic, the guy seeking a Democratic nomination's entire fucking paycheck depends on crushing unions. That's weird that he didn't mention that. I mean, it's just like, uh, like shit like this. It's like, Ilan Omar and, like, Talib are, like, basically, like, two people. Who, who have, in my opinion, a, a humane and rational criti- like criticism of the state of Israel and in, in in this, as far as this country's foreign policy goes. And that's it. That's it. There's nobody else in our fucking government who comes anywhere close to that. And like just that is something that cannot be countenanced. It's like when fucking Seth Rogen went on Marin and said that like, yeah, like a lot of the shit I learned about Zionism when I was a kid was a lie. Like there's people there and like, you know, yeah, we just kicked him out to start the country. And it's like kind of it's kind of stupid, like to care about Israel as a Jew if you live in you know Canada or America. Uh, they went fucking insane over that, and fucking condemned. Like there was an, another insane article in Tablet, like just being like, "Well, oh, you know, work out your mommy and daddy issues elsewhere, American. You know, you don't know what Israel's like, or like, oh, like why do you care so much about what our country does when you don't care good, what yours? Yeah, good, yeah. Keep, keep to yourselves. Don't even print anything in fucking English." Don't come here then. <laughs> and then, of course, like Seth Rogen's parents got him to talk to like some, some Jewish organization and apologize for it. But it's just like on its face, like who gives a shit what Seth Rogen says to Marin or what? Oh, there's now two con- people in Congress who are like uh, not 1000 percent on board with just anything Israel does. And it's just like, nope, 
that's too far because I think they understand that like, um, sure, public opinion polls will say like, oh, yeah, I support Israel. But no one in this country really gives a shit. Certainly not now. No, and if you're younger, especially if you're Jewish, you've completely abandoned Israel. And I think that, like, you know, I think they feel that intensely. And that's why what, what accounts for how good Tablet has been recently is I think they understand that um, they still have all, you know, like uh, uh, the government and the state is firmly on their side. But they've lost, I mean, they're losing people who, like, either are, are actively hostile to the aims of Zionism or just simply don't give a shit anymore. I mean, well, that's they, the they big problem get- for them. They, oh, yeah, they, they can do Israel and the Zionists. They can do what they've always done. There is endless supplies of losers uh, throughout the world who, you know, uh, to what you want, they're white and you can import them. You've already done it with other countries. You can take in all the fat fucking evangelicals. The only people in this country who are actually going to give a shit about Israel who will be left in 20 years. You can have them. They'll no, like make it be what it was always supposed to be. At its heart, take them, take them. I mean, I would love the only, that. The, the Jerry Falwell Jr. and the other <laughs> freaks on his boat. Those are that's it. That's going to be it for American wait. Zionism. That like it's going to be that, and it's going to be like you know some fucking seventy-five-year-old who's like never left. Yeah, Scarsdale or the Upper East Side who lives in a Covenant hovering wheelchair. That's it. Anyone below that age or who isn't an evangelical Christian correctly doesn't give a shit about this place. Yeah. Like the, the well, fact that Americans don't care about that. The fact that people don't care about this stuff, it helps Israel in that we, we, we kind of allow our government to, yeah, to have this insane relationship with this country. But when people who are hostile to Israel are able to gain political uh, uh, power, Mostly not not by talking about Israel, but as their criticism is being part of a broader, you know, critique of American foreign policy and also, uh, you know, capitalism. Uh, your problem then is th- that that same lack of investment means that you can't really ring the bell about their horrible anti-Zionism and have anybody really care. Yeah, because it's like this thing goes on. It's, it's like the, we still have pennies because of the, the like the copper lobby or whatever. You know, if, if it was up, if, if there was anything reasonable, I know we, we would say, what the fuck? Get rid of the penny. But nobody cares as much to get rid of the penny as the copper ca- people care about keeping the penny. So we keep the penny. But if people show up and say, hey, you know what? Maybe uh, our relationship with Israel is fucked. People are like, OK, oh, that's interesting. They're not going to immediately freak out. And that and then these guys are left trying to build up some sort of hysteria that uh, at least I think at the at the level of representatives, like with where constituent service is more important, uh, is very difficult. It's, it's, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to like nationalize anti-Semitism the way that uh, they tried to do it. Or, I mean, obviously, they wouldn't be able to do it as effectively as England because England is a horrible uh, nightmare uh, Terry Gilliam movie. But Worst people to than try American. to nationalize like anti-Semitism as a as a uh, as a topic, I, I I suspect it would not be as successful. No, it I wouldn't. Think, yeah, no, it really no. wouldn't. Um, you, you brought him up though, so can we just like just just close out here? Can we talk about Jerry Jr. Because you know we did a whole episode <laughs> on, on the fall on rule. the Falwell family, and you know what? It's just like because of COVID, you know, we're gonna it's gonna be a year before at least a year or two before any of our fucking favorite stories come back. They 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 were like half done filming Gemstone season two when this shit hit. It's on permanent. It's on hiatus for now until God knows when. I, I need it back. I, I need some McBride. I need some gemstones in my life. But until then, 
the life and saga of Jerry Falwell Jr. continues to be, I, I don't know, even better than the, the shit greatest story ever told. <laughs> yes. Let's just say it. <laughs> yes. So, okay. I, I don't know if you guys saw it earlier this week. There, there was a photo of him that he posted on his own Instagram where he is with uh, a sort of a sort of Daisy Duke style, like sexy redhead who has some like cut off jean shorts unbuttoned. And then he's got his jeans unbuttoned and they both have their sort of like their guts kind of hanging out and they're grinning and they're looking real. They're looking real sauced up. And like, this is just like having fun on my yacht. And it's just like, and he's got like the, this weird, like dyed beard where it's just like, it's sort of like the neck part of the beard is like a, is jet black. And then the rest of it is gray. It's very odd. But well, that's because um, he was being uh, Julian from Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. yeah. It was a Trailer Park Boys <laughs> themed yacht party. Well, I thought it was so amazing that it was a Trailer Park Boys party because it's like, you're Ray. Yeah. Like, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. like that, that show is so brilliant because it's just about like the different ways that people can be full of shit and how some are like more honest than others. Like it's a great, it's one of my favorite shows, like a foundational show for me. But it's like, how does Jerry Falwell Jr. watch that and not go like, Oh, I'm like all of these guys. <laughs> like I am uh, yeah. awful. Like it's I'm like as a, awful as everyone here. Jerry Falwell Jr. to the gym instructor that he's paying to ball his wife. You lied to guy. You lied to the guy in the chair. You lied yeah, to the guy in the yeah. chair. <laughs> you didn't tell me. You didn't tell me you were going dates on alone, where, where I couldn't watch. You lied I to love, the guy. In I the mean, chair. I I love fall. I talked about this, but like I love Falwell so much because like. He's just an uncharismatic, weird crackhead. But like, <laughs> like everyone, like all his supporters have to pretend it's just like that they all do his weird shit. So yeah. it's like, so, so that like if you point out that it's weird, you're a triggered lib. They have to try to slot his weird debauch activity. They have to debauch him acting like fucking uh, Joe Pesci in JFK. They have yeah. to slot it into like existing <laughs> conservative culture war. Like, oh, oh triggered yeah, oh, much? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I had never left Manhattan, I too think it would be weird to paint all my nephews gold to, to, to <laughs> play human bowling with them. Well, they would. That's the thing. Everyone's a fucking debauched freak. Everyone's yeah. worshiping at the cult of mammon and their own perverted yeah. desires. That's all yeah. anyone is doing, no matter what religious gloss they put on it. So, of course, just like political leaders have to reflect that, eventually they're fake religious leaders after reflect that too and did you guys see did you guys hear uh, his apology that he yeah, called no, 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 I'm yeah, getting to it I'm getting to it I'm getting to it out of his fucking mind right, let, me, let me just read it let me read it this is so good so it says here uh, Liberty University President Jerry Falwell Jr. said on Wednesday that he had apologized mm-hmm. for posting a photo of him in unzipped pants and an arm around a woman but also defended was the inc- not his wife that, but also defended the incident as a vacation costume party that was just in good fun I mean, I would like to. That, that's like Sidney Pollack at the end of Eyes Wide Shut. It was just like, hey, it's just a costume party that was a little bit of fun, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love. No, yeah, he's doing low IQ Bohemian Grove. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he goes. The now deleted photo showed Falwell, a leading evangelical supporter of President Donald Trump, with his pants unzipped and his underwear showing beneath, while he had one arm around a woman whose shorts also appeared to be unbuttoned, and his other hand holding a glass with a dark colored liquid. The photo appeared to be on board a yacht. The posting, which was quickly withdrawn, drew a sharp blacklash and charges of hypocrisy because the evangelical university that he leads prohibits students from having sexual relations outside of a biblically ordained marriage and consuming media with lewd lyrics, sexual content, and nudity. 
I've apologized to everybody, said Falwell in an interview on Morning Line Show on uh, 105.9 FM, a local radio station in Lynchburg, Virginia. Falwell's hometown and that of the Liberty Campus. And I've promised my kids I'm going to try to be, I'm going to try to be a good boy from here on out. And he was, yeah, like Matt said, he was wasted. He was. I'll try, I'll try to be a good boy. And then he does a little (laughs) chuckle. I promised my kids I'm going to. Try to be. Be- I'm gonna try to be a good boy from here on out. <laughs> and as soon as I heard that, what it made me think of was no. There was a guy in the '80s named Jimmy Swaggart. Uh, he I was, have like, seen a, a, exactly. He was a prototypical televangelist of that post-moral majority era. I believe he was. Uh, by the way, I believe he was also Jerry Lee Lewis's cousin, was, uh, yeah. not the one he slept with. Uh, and he got caught. That like we all know of, of. Them did then. Yeah, all of them did uh, doing shady shit, embezzlement, having sex with people, not his his wife. And he did a big public mea culpa on TV, and his face is just bright red. So such goes, a sheen. I have seen. And you just, it's like, uh, yeah, fair enough. He's a fucking hypocrite, but that moment had a bit of actual like Christian redemption to it. Like he was doing the thing that you're supposed to do, you know? Yeah. Like, we're all fallen. We're all sinners. We have to acknowledge it and we have to ask for forgiveness and, and show remorse. And he was doing all of that. Uh, and now we got this guy just like, yeah, I was a naughty little puppy. Wouldn't I? <laughs> just like, because he's the son, because he is that far removed from any, uh, I mean, he's not even an actual pastor. He's just a real estate mogul, basically with a religious patina around it. And so he's completely insulated. Like all the second and third generation fucking fail sons who run everything now are. And so the thought of actually being contrite about something that the, the idea that, there's anything to be uh to be felt bad about other than that people found out or that they had to had to make a big deal about it uh it doesn't even occur it's, and and then and the and the the the, the followers they love that yes because that's where they are now too yep they're in the exact same they don't want to in their lives they don't want to have to actually repent for any bad behavior they do they want they want to keep doing what they're doing and they just want to get like a jc high five for it and so they see him being like oh look at me and they're like yeah you tell him jfj jfj i mean a guy who JF- is yeah, it's like the, it's like the my pillow guy. It's just like oh yeah. fucking uh, maybe in the big city you have never smoked enough crack to have your dealers do an intervention for you, but out in regular yeah. America this is a pretty normal thing that happens. Uh, but like the same with Jerry Jerry Falwell Jr., a guy who is transparently like just a fuck addicted like swinging cocaine party monster, and everyone's just like yeah he's on the level. It's cool. It, it's, like, love, it's, yeah. it, it's like the, it, it shows like the, the futility of like uh, charges of hypocrisy. Like he's cool. He's cool. He got all his trailer park boys parties comped. I yeah, I get you know, I'm trying to think the only people left in America who aren't someone's son. It's either people as old as Joe Biden, even though like Donald Trump's really just some guy's son. Yep. But like, yeah, it's Biden. Um, just soulless operators like Barack Obama who uh you know rise out of the mire obama or clinton rise out of the mire to become you know on that evil private island level or it's jake paul those are the only three types of guys free him free him public life yeah jesus felix (laughs) i mean like has your screenplay just like once again in the mouth of madness style just like just distorted reality once again the 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 fucking feds doing a a, they drove a tank through his fucking door to the hype house what the fuck is going on (laughs) the more me and jack write the more 
comes true, I guess. I'm right, I just, we're afraid to write more. I want to I want to just read more from the, the account of this apology, though. It's so fucking good. Uh, Falwell described the woman in the photo as his wife's assistant on his Instagram account. <laughs> On, on his Instagram the hell off. On his Instagram account, Falwell tagged a picture of the woman as Kathleen Stone, who lists on her Facebook account that she works for Liberty University. She's a sweetheart, and I would never have put it up and embarrassed her, Falwell said. Falwell described the scene leading up to the photo. She's pregnant, so she couldn't get she couldn't get her pants up, he said. And I was like trying to like my I had on a pair of jeans I hadn't worn in a long time, so I couldn't get mine zipped either. And so and so I just put my belly and I put my belly out like hers. The photo of Falwell, of Falwell appeared to be a parody of the comedy TV show Trailer Park Boys. The website Pulpit and Pen also published a video set to the theme music of the show that shows Falwell and other yacht guests in costume. The video appears to have been taken by someone on the yacht. Asked about the reference to the TV show during the interview on Wednesday, Falwell demurred. Whatever, he said. It was a costume party on a... We were on vacation. And anyway, long story short, it was just in good fun. That's it. King. Praise be to him. All this shit was put out by himself because they can't, because there's no sense of shame. There's no even sense that they are transgressing because all borders have been erased and, by, you know, by, by, by power, by money, and by detachment from everyone else. And you know what, like, uh, obviously Jerry Falwell, his entire family, Liberty University, and everyone who works for it or has ever taken money from it is, you know, Moloch-like fucking evil and cancer on our society. But you know what? Everyone who's fucking annoyed at this or trying to get mad at my men is just jealous that they're not on a fucking yacht just, like, fucking, sucking, swapping, swinging, snorting, fucking cornholing, just fucking coke, crack, meth, speed, fucking poppers, uppers, downers, just, like, assholes, pussies, tits, cocks, everywhere. My wife, her assistant, my gym teacher, my cousin, they're all getting down on one big fucking gangbang. And it's just like, you know what? You would do it, too, if you, ha- if you, if you were able to. Yep. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, what is the critique? What what could any follower uh, be mad at him for? He's doing what they would do, and everyone knows that. And so when he does something like post a picture, and then he's holding the wine, it's like, uh, it's just black colored water. It's a prop. No <laughs> 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 one believes that. If anything, they're spo- like he does that like to think people might give him credit for being clever. Like, oh, this is like when he said that they photoshopped him into those pictures <laughs> in the, the fucking Miami uh, nightclub with the fucking nephew phone party with the nephew phone party with the goddamn nephew night at the club. Yeah. With a pacifier in his mouth and fucking glow sticks up his ass. <laughs> oh, God. What a, oh God, what a what great a, guy. Dude, can, can he run I for president? Him. I mean, come on. He deserves to be he's president. He's cooler than Donald Trump. Like, Donald Trump probably... He is, yeah. Yeah, he's way cooler than Donald, Donald Trump, Trump. That man has never seen a single episode of Trailer Park Boys, and he wouldn't get yeah. it even if he did. He would not... He would just be like... He wouldn't understand it. I am confused over, like, what Falwell thinks the point of Trailer Park Boys is. But it's immaterial, really. You know what? I mean, like, I could see a conservative message. And say, I mean, not like a conservative political message, but I think Thriller Park Boys is genuinely a wholesome show. Uh, like a genuine, oh, no, I love and, it. Yeah. a genuine and wholesome show about, like, you know, community and, like, taking care of each other and fucking, like, you know, like, just, just looking out for other people and coming together to, like, you know, save your community. Like, that, that's what I, the show I is essentially agree. about. I, 
yeah, I can agree with that actually. It is it's a very nice show. I recommend everyone watch it after this. Well, I think that about does it for uh, this episode. But uh, before uh, we leave, I would just like to make a, a personal acknowledgement. Um, on the last episode I was on, I was congratulating our wonderful producer, Chris, and his lovely love, Molly, on their uh, matrimony and wishing them all the love and happiness into the future on their marriage. And now, personally, I am wishing my sister, Elizabeth Meneker, and her new husband and my new brother-in-law, Harlan, a hearty congratulations, nothing but love and happiness to you guys in the years to come. Uh, you are, Lizzie, you are the best sister, and Harlan, you are the best brother-in-law uh, I could imagine. I never had a, a brother, but now I do, and I, I wish you guys both all the love and happiness in the world. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. That word brought my nitty's build a sign. I read in my Bible, they shall not it in. For Jesus will answer, depart, I never knew you. That word brought my nitty's build a sign. Some people say they gamble now and then for pleasure And drink a little whiskey just to please a friend They say it's really nothing, you've got to be broad-minded That word in my Bible is spelled S-I-N That word broad-minded is spelled S-I-N I read in my Bible, they shall out it for Jesus will answer, depart, I never knew you. That word brought my need, is spell this time.